Hey folks, Sean Zock here. This week we have an interview with a course designer that you know pretty well. He is Robert Trent Jones Jr. He is the man who designed Chambers Bay. That's the 2015 U.S. Open course up in Washington. He's also the man behind Poppy Hills, Spanish Bay, Cordoval. Those are all in California. He's the man behind University Ridge and Century World up in Wisconsin, all kinds of other golf courses. He recently stopped in New York City, fresh off a flight from Greece. The man gets around and he does it at 80 years old. It's incredible. And he kind of ran circles around me with his various golf course architecture references. But I do think it is a fun discussion on the art form, the real artistic side of golf course design. Enjoy. Thanks for joining me. You are a world-renowned golf course architect, and you've been doing this now for 60 years. Yep, about that long. And you just got to New York basically off a plane from Greece? I did. You're a traveling man. Well, you don't you don't say home and build golf course. you got to go to the new sites every time. In this case, I went back to one, Costa Navarino, to play in a pro-am mm-hmm. and, and take a little of my own medicine. <laughs> How did it go for you? Well, it was a very windy day the first day. I will not tell you that I did. We didn't do very well. I didn't do very well. Second day, I played my course. So I did a lot better. Yeah. Third day, halfway after nine holes, played pretty well, and then it hailed. <laughs> so it was a mixed match. Do you find it difficult to play golf without thinking like a golf course architect? That's a really good question because all games are attack and defense, and the attacker is the golfer. Mm-hmm. And let's say you think of me as sort of a goalkeeper. I'm in the net. You know, trying to defend against the That's attack, true. and so when uh, when you're the goal, when you're a designer, you you can move the bunker. You know, but when you're a player, you're in the bunker. You got to mm-hmm. play out. So I, when I actually play competitive golf, I revert to my old original self and play play the game as it, as I see it and have that wherever the ball lies. Yeah, I like that because I think a lot of people that they get to a point when they are designing courses so much, they have a hard time pulling those two people apart. Well, from one point of view, having been a designer, I, I study other people's art or mm-hmm. their architecture, and uh, there there is a method in their madness. There is a rhyme in their reason mm-hmm. if they're good architects, and uh, people like Jack Nicklaus and people like uh, Fazio, my brother, are very good architects of our era. Um, and then, but if you're playing someone else's course, it may be a little more m- mundane, mm-hmm. a little bit Germanic, you know, uh, then it's, it's more like a walk and yeah. you, and you have to, and then, but as soon as you figure that out, then you adopt your game to try to get the ball in the hole. You are 80 years old and still traveling the world, still doing this every single week of the year. And you just dropped three course design, like overhead aerial shots on the desk in front of me. You are like, your fingers are in the dirt. You're not stopping anytime soon. No, I'm, as long as uh, my genes last, I'm going to keep moving because I think, to be honest with you, that's the beauty of our game. You can play it your entire life. Mm-hmm. Unlike other sports, you have to give up football and yeah, basketball and, and even soccer and tennis even at some point. But golf, you can play as long as you can keep walking and swing a club. So I enjoy that. And then working, I love to get my hands dirty. And it's just true. I've had my hands in most of the planet uh, one way or another, and it's been a great cultural experience. So one of the aerial shots that you dropped in front of me is the Greece course, and you were just yeah. over there. You were just explaining some incredible history that surrounds this property. What is it like to go back there today and think about that history? What is the history for people who don't know? 
Well, as you as you know, Sean, we in the jet plane age, people can go long distance whether they're skiers, they can go to the Alps or, yeah. or Utah or wherever they want to ski, and seek out good snow. In golf, you can go. They were looking to far off places relatively easy. You can go to Kalamata in this case on a GN Airlines who sponsored this tournament, and then you're at this resort in a place where Greek history is really f- fundamental. In Pilos in 1827, there was a battle between the Turks, the Ottomans, and with the British fleets, and they were driven into this hidden bay to get out of a terrible storm. Mm-hmm. And of course, in, once they were in the bay, they couldn't get out, and, yeah. and the Greeks and the Greeks kind of finished them off, and thus modern Greece was formed at that time. So that's the history, right well, by the, where your golf course is. Exactly. So we put the golf course right down in that bay. It's a lovely, beautiful, very uh, scenic place. But when you go and play in these they have two courses now and four soon to be a golf destination. You'll have a lot more things to do. You can eat Kalamata <laughs> olives. You can drink their good wine. You can smell perfume flowers. All the senses awaken. And you're right on this uh, historical site and lots to do for all the family if they're not golfers. How much does history matter to you when you are visiting a property for the first time? It has to matter some, right? Well, I, I try to enculturate myself, whether I'm in Japan and learn the scroll arts in the early of my career or in Greece. This was, you know, rich history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, uh, Greek, you know, Greek philosophers. I, I went down to the Agora and, and was looking for a little wisdom and truth. And my, my wife said, well, if you find some, please bring some home. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, I do enculturate what's going on there. And the Greeks are very warm and friendly people mm-hmm. and they love good food and they smile and they're real people. I feel like that's an easy skip, uh, step to skip for people like in your shoes. It has to be somewhat easy to not, you know, to be to be given an assignment. We want you to bring a golf course here and for you to say, OK, I'll just bring a golf course there. I don't need to learn that much about the place. Well, Sean, that's a good ex- uh, observation. And to be honest, so there are some firms that have a preordained idea of what a golf course would be. And they mm-hmm. kind of bring their own imprint and print it on the land. Um, Pete Dye, who just passed away, was a very good low Florida, yes. Florida kind of low-level golfer. I mm-hmm. live in the far west, so I'm a three-dimensional golf architect. Let's yeah, say in the hills, in the hill, in the hills of California, in the far west, in the mountains, I had to learn the extra dimension. So when you have more land that's changing elevations, I'm probably more suited to it than say Pete was. Sure. On the other hand, Florida would be would not be Florida without Pete Dye. So yes. so you know we have our we have our interesting. Uh, background. But in terms of, let's say if Pete Dye were to ask to go to, say, do a course in some foreign place, mm-hmm. he might just bring this Florida mentality. Yeah. And uh, people could say that golf pros uh, are attackers and they're so, sort of single-minded in their attack. Yeah. And they are thinking, how do I design this course to suit my game so mm-hmm. I can beat my fellow professionals? They have more of a uh, gerrymandering mentality yeah, totally. than uh, than maybe they actually design those who do design golf courses with a few exceptions design it from the center line out whereas we tend to design it from the periphery of the rough inward because that's where people play but in the same time if you go to this very next level of the experience as i call it golf art you have to enculturate yourself you have to understand the people what's interesting to them and bring that sort of artistic element into it so you fit into their society okay so that brings me back to your website is doing a little bit of research and you know, your bio incorporates a lot of words like philosophy and art and the way that you approach golf courses is different. So what are your design or what is your design ethos, your guiding principles? Do you have a paragraph, a sentence, something that you go back to, to help you wherever you go? Um, 
Does that exist for you? Well, it does. And as you may know, I write poetry, and my poetry teacher said, in poetry, get in, take blood, get out. So I like to be a few words. So okay. my ethos is of the land for the spirit. So let the land itself give you itself. And don't try to change the land, try to mm -hmm. design to the land or of the land for the spirit of the game. Okay. This project in North Dakota, which is unlike any that I've heard of before, it's at Oxbow Country Club. Let's spend a little time on this because there was a low-lying area, and correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, that was constantly getting dealing with floods. And the, the, the winter would thaw, and this entire area would end up looking like a river, a legitimate river that overflows. And that was a golf course. That was a country club, a private golf course. So they come to you, and they say, what can you do for us? Is your first thought to move the golf course, or is your first thought, something else no um well ironically we had actually laid out the little golf course in the 70s and, mm -hmm. and it wasn't flooding then as uh, oil was discovered in north dakota and fargo expanded very rapidly it's now a pretty wealthy state relative to what people might have, have an mm -hmm. impression of our yeah fargo. people just think it's this <laughs> state west of minnesota that like people who can only handle the winter live there and they have you know you have to drive 100 miles to a big city it's not quite that yeah, no, it's not that way. Somebody used to say about North Dakota, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin. So yeah, you would understand. Um, anyway, uh, Sean, the, uh, the the Oxbow was named because part of the, some of the, a few of the holes were in the Oxbow because it's very pretty land, it's mm -hmm. near water, and it was scenic, and they didn't have much money, and that's what they could do with yeah, that in the seventies. Like perfect, right? Place. Well, as time would happen, and rivers f f more and more flooded, and rains f patterns changed, and the community built itself out in Fargo and elsewhere, more and more concrete, more and more water, and suddenly the course, as you can see, especially in the spring snow melt, would flood, and houses were that were on the course were being inundated. So the, so what actu actually happened, the good people of Fargo said, this is not working. Yeah, and they do something. And, they, and they, it was a big negotiation amongst themselves. And they voted uh, to fund and move the entire golf course and some of the homes, or most of the homes, to higher land in the, in the prairie beyond the Oxbow River. But very close to it. Yeah, right. it's close, but it's higher ground. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, it was calculated. Meantime, the Corps of Engineers with whom they worked put in a dike to keep the if should the river flood mm -hmm. um, the, along there, and which it will, it would not flood the banks onto this new section or Fargo itself, which was very important to the people of Fargo. And that's expensive. It is, but I I commend them for several reasons. They put the billet. They. Um, uh, funded it by their own t sales tax increases, and the Corps did its work. Uh, I would strongly recommend Fargo, North Dakota, as a paradigm for the future of other places that are flooding in Nashville, for example, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, Houston. They should take take a look at this because put rebuilding in the place where they're going to get flooded is going to happen again, or New Orleans. Yeah, and that's that's a waste of time and money, and been painful. Well, like any places along the coast, I imagine Florida. Generally speaking, 50 years down the road, maybe 100 years down the road, a lot of Florida is in grave danger for this stuff. But well, Florida is a little bit different experience because it's flat. Yeah. And the, if the seas do rise, as as, as predicted yeah. by the scientists, there's nowhere to go. Uh, there, you know, you, there, there's some high ground, but it's in the center of the state. Yeah. It's an Opelika or someplace. But but the point is, um, seawalls and that kind of thing are completely different. This is a river, 
And so when you're getting flooding, which collects massive amounts of rain, mm-hmm. uh, stay away, stay back from the river. So, so that, that's what happened here. So you were the original designer? Yep, in the 70s. Now, the way you described it in terms of weather patterns changing, a little bit more infrastructure popping up, you would not consider what you originally did to be a mistake, right? Cause well, you, you know, it. no, at the time, I, we didn't. And uh, of course, we that's the land they owned. We you know we're given the land. We don't. You know, they didn't have the other land. And it, maybe the reason they got it was cheap. I don't know. And it was pretty. And uh, the owners uh, at that time wanted to build a new golf course there, and we, and it was inexpensive and simple. And we just followed the land. And maybe the mistake was we didn't realize uh, far enough out in the future that that oxbow itself would be the river again. Yeah. But I mean, just looking at the photos that you've put in front of me. This seems to grasp your ethos of of the land for the spirit. Like I see an area that you you didn't leave the land, right? Oh. You, you didn't leave the the proximity that you were given. So you stayed with it. You decided to use it better and for the spirit of the people that wanted you to do it. That's what you worked towards. We did. In fact, some of the new holes, although it's a completely new rooting, mm-hmm. are the old are some of the old holes of the original golf mm-hmm. course and just rebuilt. Yeah, so you're not running away from what was once there and I'm sure no. people didn't want you to. No. I mean, if you you know, you can improve look at Augusta's and an endless work and proje- project that's process. True. Why not uh, this course? They yes. just tend to have a little more money than a lot well, of people. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. Sure. But golf courses evolve or you know in this case it was well, a necessity should. yeah should they not yeah I mean, absolutely the world evolves in a number of so ways. I, i'm i'm in effect my, i and bruce charlton and my, my son who works with us we're remodeling some of our own courses for example the canadian amateur is going to be played in glencoe and in, mm-hmm. in calgary on a course which we just remodeled about five years ago uh and and so we we come back to our projects and update them this north dakota project is would you call it unique have you ever been approached with something like this before? Is this the first time you've kind of done a true like flood reclamation project? Or well, maybe the only other project that comes to mind is Navatani in Bangkok, and when we did that, which held the World I'm Cup in nineteen familiar. yeah held the World Cup in nineteen seventy five. It was a rice paddy. When we went out there, we went out in a boat along the Klongs, as they called them. It was flat, and I said, "Where's the land?" Well, there it is. So we crafted, we built dikes. And 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 mm-hmm. case the land, and they brought in lots of soil, and we built some lakes, and uh, it, it held up over time. But it was similar in the sense we had to hold the water back. I get the sense that you are not intimidated by any type of land structure in the world, because I think people could be intimidated in your shoes, or if they don't have as much experience as you. Like, holy cow, I have to do this on rice land, or I have to somehow move a golf course away from flood water which is way different than just going to an open prairie and being like, okay, we can put a hole here and a tee box there. Yeah, but you got to watch out for the coyotes in the prairie, so you never know. <laughs> sure. There's always something there. <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what is difficult about your job that gets overlooked? Uh, well, you're, I, I, we do have some lands that we think are unsuitable for a golf course. If they're in a severe mountainscape or the third dimension is just too much, sure. keep it as a ski run, not, not a golf course. Um, where there's too much salt, uh, the grass won't grow. Okay. Uh, you know, salt that comes from the from the ocean mm-hmm. and or salts that are in the naturally in the grass. Uh, and so we watch out for uh, t- those technical issues. But other than that, 
the ownership of the land, we, 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 if they ask us, is this suitable, we'll tell them it's maybe not natural. Sure. And we can, we can deal with that, but it's going to be expensive. And if it is beautiful land, which we all covet. We love it. <laughs> uh, we love it. And, we, and we, you know, we say golfers would fight for Lynx land and, mm-hmm. and fight each other physically. Yeah, you no know. kidding. But uh, there's not much of that around. It's true. But, so, you know, there's 30,000 golf courses in the world, roughly, so I'm told. And there's only about 250 really true Lynx land. So everything else is crafted. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about one that is quite natural, but it's still crafted. Um, that I think modern golf fans would know very well. It'd be Chambers Bay. And so you were the designer on Chambers Bay. I just played it in October really for good. the first time. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Thank you. I absolutely loved it. I think it's brilliant. Um, it is certainly a property that has a ton of potential, both in the future, but I'm sure when you first step foot on it, you're like, holy cow, this place. There's a lot we got. We got, we can do a lot here. Well, first of all, Chambers Bay would be like for a composer like Beethoven, maybe my fifth or ninth symphony. You know, it's an ode <laughs> to joy. Sure. All right. Uh, the opportunity to work on a public project, open to the public, on a golf course which is purpose built to ho- to hopefully host the U.S. Open in pure sand. Yeah. Is like once. Maybe in a career, yeah, <laughs> that you get that shot. So naturally, we competed against several other architects, and fortunately, they chose the um, John Ladenberg was the leader, the county executive at the time. He chose our team, and w- w- there were a lot of public rules we had to follow, and a lot of yeah. things that were not easy to do. Because that's the tough part. Well, people don't quite people see don't it. realize there's always local politics. <laughs> Anytime you're dealing with land, there's local politics. Yeah, and um, and and, that, and in this case, we had a leader that that uh, loved the sport. He plays golf. He played on baseball teams with his nine brothers. And How important is that? Oh, extremely important. It has to be one of the most yeah. important you, you, It's a collaboration with the community, with the owner, with yourself, with the contractors, with the shapers. It's not, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might be the composer of note, but the, you know, but there's a whole violin section and there's some, uh, there's a, a brass section and there's a drum section you got to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a lot of people probably know it from the 2015 U.S. Open, and I actually wrote an article about this maybe a month or two ago, just saying I think the course kind of was given a bad rap in that event, in that extreme event in which it was a very dry, hot month of June. There's no rainfall. The USGA is not going to water it down. And so the greens, the original greens, were difficult for these players. Well, Sean, the concept was to be very environmental, yeah, and to follow the ethos, as you would, of the north of the maritime climates where the lynx land was invented. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the same latitude as Scotland or Ireland, mm-hmm. um, a little bit south, but it's, it's near, you know, Washington State is near Canada. So, so the maritime climate fescue grasses are yes. the natural grasses. So we use the fescue grasses throughout and they're drought resistant. That means less water consumption. And also they, they, the ground is very firm and hard, mm-hmm. therefore the ball can run out. So we use the Lynx concepts of both aerial game if you choose that way, but ground game if you prefer not to. You're near a sea. I think you saw that in the open too. Oh yeah, we saw everything in the <laughs> open. However, what actually happened, the amateur was perfect. They had no problems with the amateur. It was in August and it was hot too. Mm-hmm. They changed superintendents. Now he, he would pick out uh, with his team, the POA, and that grows naturally, and it's an invasive grass to to, to everywhere, but yeah. particularly in this in the in the maritime climate where it's wet, some some of the year. Um, and uh, 
he would get rid of it. Well, they, they, the current, the superintendent at that time, uh, under the management company, tried chemical means, and quite honestly, they were ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might have been, maybe they needed a, a Irish superintendent, and it would have worked. But then, in addition, uh, I was told very clearly. I pointed out that there was some POA on the Greens in October preceding the Open mm. to the powers that be in the USJ. And they, they're, they're very clear, Bobby, your your job is done. We'll take it from here. <laughs> we got it from here. And so they did. And and, and uh, I think the chorus itself did not get a bad rep, and the result no. speaks for itself. Yeah. Because what is a championship? A true championship is at the end of the day, there's a hunt for the for the trophy, mm-hmm. especially a national championship, mm-hmm. especially a U.S. Open. So you had six players standing on the 10th tee, any one of whom could win the Open on Sunday. And the lead changed among them, to, among three t- players and a couple twice. Yeah. And everybody was mesmerized watching the tournament in person and on television. So that's a true championship. I just, I, when I meant, when I said the course got a bad rap, I just think people looked at the championship and are like, oh, whatever the players were dealing with on the greens, that's the Chambers-based story. And it's so much bigger than that. It's so much greater than that. And that's what I saw when I went and played it for the first time. Well, remember, this was the first tournament that Fox Sports had actually covered. Um, I mean, visually. And they weren't really quite ready for this. Mm -hmm. And yes, there there was no question that the the players are a little spoiled and that they expect perfect putting greens like pool tables. They're very spoiled. And yeah, and they they weren't getting that. No. But But the, you know, Rory... From Ireland, he understood and he adapted, and he had, he was he had a chance to win it at On the Sunday, end. Sunday, he tore it and, up, and and not only that, um, uh, Scott Adam Scott played, and he's from Australia. The the foreigners immediately adapted to the mm-hmm. conditions. If you notice who made the cut, they were shooting low scores. It took a couple rounds, and a lot of the times the players. Or, or don't come do practice rounds, mm-hmm. and that's a mistake at a U.S. Open, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And this this year's U.S. Open at Peb, at uh, Wingfoot, the players know the course, or they come and, and practice there, or use it. Yeah, the, who have who are in contention, and they didn't do that at Chambers Bay. Uh, Tiger did, to his credit, and a few others did, but not everybody did. And so they expected a tour type course, and yeah. we did not give them. And that's my job. Not only did we do something unique, we had the tees which were uneven. Therefore, we're asking the best players in the world to take a stance not just hit it 300 yards or more and think about what they're doing it's relatively open site we gave them lots of room to play but then the game is on it was all about the ground game and the, and the contours around the greens now, and on the greens yeah see i think you just brought up like four different things that i'm interested in one of them is being how difficult is it to let go of a site when you have created this piece of art right and then you kind of have to give it to someone else to conduct its championships, conduct its agronomy. Um, it has to be a little bit like parenting someone <laughs> through high school and then college comes and you have to kind of let them do their own thing. Is that true? Yes, tough? It's, that, that's very true. Uh, obviously, you have to be a good parent. My mother particularly said, well, Bobby, birds have to fly out of the nest. <laughs> you know, and she would fledge us, get out, go fly. And But you'll come back and see us later. And so the point being, we crafted the course. We had great comments from Mike Davis after the amateur and by other players. And we recrafted some holes uh, from those comments, particularly a couple of greens like number seven. We straightened out number five that had a little dog leg uh, we took out of a, the, yes. an, op, an option and made it a straightforward course. We added a lot of back tees. And, and now... It's a place that people seek, and you're going to a lot of Asian players come there. You know, mm. your, your port of uh, 
uh, at Tacoma is the third most important, uh, most active port in the country, so I'm told. And you got a lot of people coming over to watch baseball games from Japan mm-hmm. in uh, in Seattle, and so you got a lot of Asian players as well as people of the Pacific Northwest who live there. To play I the think program. it's great. I think people need to go see it. I don't want to compliment you too much, but I did call it the best Muni in the, in the country, in my opinion. There's a lot of competition for that, but it's it's really good. So, well, Sean, from you, an Irish guy, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. Now. On a scale from one to ten, how much do you care about the distance in which the golf ball travels? Because that's a co- that's a current topic, and it definitely trickles down to you at some point. Well, when you're working at the highest level of the game, such as a U.S. Open, you have to really bring your A game on defense and think at that level. But, you know, that's 0.1% of the golfers of exactly. the world play at that level. So I... I w- my real work is for people like Hogshead, for uh, Alvarez and Marcel, and, and their their team was, I built this course for friends, by friends, for fun. That's in Ireland. In Ireland. Well, for yeah. fun. you got to go to Ireland, you got to right? go for their And for Waterville. So that there we did something similar. We did a Lynx-style course on a Headlands, sand-capped it. It's firm and fast and running, but we tone down the contours, and it's all fescue. And there, the Irish people know how to take care of fescue. Yeah. But add the wind, and you'll have a, you'll have a fierce day. But for the most part, you're going to enjoy the beauty and the natural um, walk in the park. It's a walking course, and has a lot of variety. The holes are mm-hmm. not they're endlessly fascinating. And then when you come in, you can go to a great bar, great clubhouse, and there's a lovely lodge, and you're there to have fun. And that's that I think is what people want today. The other, not not the the, the great championship players. Totally. Let's just like do the hypothetical then. You've created Hogshead as a place for fun for me and my three buddies who go on an Irish trip. From your perspective, if someone says, if the owners say, we want the Irish Open to come here, how can you help us bring the Irish Open here? Is it just tee boxes back that tees, go back to That's just, that's probably how yeah, it's Yeah, because done. I don't want to take the fun out of it by, yeah. make, by making the bunkers deeper. Some some architects have been doing that and they've been criticized. Uh, in, in Dallas, Texas, at, at an old course, they deepened the bunkers and they did it very artfully, but the membership couldn't get out of them. And I don't mean shots. I mean, they couldn't crawl out of them. <laughs> so there are five basic elements to defense in the golf architecture. Yeah. There's length, which you've talked about. There's width or narrowness. Mm-hmm. There's hazards, okay? And there is contour and, and in and around the greens complexes. And there's the natural elements, primarily wind. Yeah, you can't. We predict. use all those five in an artful way to create a series of puzzles, 18 little puzzles, in a very engaging way that a a golfer of any skill level can find a way to finish the hole. Now, when you you explain it in the way that you did, 18 little puzzles, is it ever tough to make sure that the 12th puzzle is demonstrably different than the first puzzle and then the 16th puzzle is different than the 8th puzzle? Because I look at golf courses and I see oftentimes four par fives, four par threes, 10 par fours, or something like that. Well, I think I'm pretty imaginative and, and people <laughs> yeah. would like me to stop being imaginative, but we just played a, uh, the course in um, Costa Navarino. It has six par th- threes on it. Yes, and And, and uh, the same thing in, in the Wild Coast in Transkai, built in the 80s, has six par threes. I follow what the land gives me. If, mm-hmm. I, see, if I see very dramatic land, 
and, uh, and difficult terrain, I'm going to make par threes because they're easier to fit in. And they're the charm holes. And golfers like them because it's one shot. You can put a ball on a tee. You know the exact distance. And we make them, you know, uh, I don't have a formula. I let the land tell me and the owner tell me kind yeah. of what they want. But in some way, there's a little bit of a formula. Like you said, there are just five areas of defense. Well, those are elements. Of, they're, they're like the painter has, uh, you know, the primary colors and secondary colors to paint with. Okay. I'm just saying everybody has that. Not mm-hmm. me. Just everybody has those elements and they mm-hmm. work with them. Um, those are basics. Like a composer can play both the white uh, and the black keys on a piano. So it's it's just the way you, you, you work. Um, but having said that, I hope that what people think is there's great variety. I don't know what you saw at Chambers Bay, but I don't think any hole was like any other. No, no, no. I, I <laughs> love Chambers Bay for that reason is because there are par fours that you can drive and there are par fours that play for someone like myself, 10 handicap hits the ball pretty far. It plays so different from one tee to the next. Like the back tees make it a very tough par four for me, but the second tees make it a a tough in a different way, you know? The landing zone makes it tough. We're saying things like right. that. Right. Well, we, we, we really worked at that. There's a lot of width there. There are no trees. So mm-hmm. one of the elements is of vertical hazards is not there. But we have ground hazards, contour in the ground. So we crafted the ground to play the correct side of the fairway for a better lie. And if you want to go the other way, you might have an uneven stance. Yeah. We even have an uneven stance on the tees themselves, meaning they're sort of ribbon tees. They were not flat. So the getting, getting to the point, that was original work. That was new. It was different. It was a way to defend against these long ball hitters, make them take a stance. So they're just not hitting home runs in baseball yeah. all the time. And that was different. And some of the players couldn't get used to that. They no. have very uh, clear view, get up, slug it, go find it, hit it again, yeah. and, and putt on a, on a, on a, on a, on a uh, pool cue kind of green. Is that more fun for you to have property that's waiting for you that doesn't have vertical hazards? Um, is it more fun that it's kind of you can decide on the ground what's happening? In the case of Chambers Bay, that was purpose built. Yeah. Um, we all worked as a team. Yeah, that, that's a man-made course. In the case of, say, Costa Navarino, is to find the course within this glorious piece of landscape and to you know, avoid other people's property and make sure. sure the water got there so you could gr- grow grass. And that's a very different approach. Um, for me personally, to go and play that course as I just did and see the smiles on all the competitors' faces, it was I, – I told my wife, I said, I felt genuine love. Wow. And, you know, most of the time they want to beat up the architect. Yeah, they don't like you. <laughs> yeah, Why'd you, you caused me those here? double bogeys. Why'd you put this there? But I saw these smiles. And for any artist, whether you're a jazz musician or whatever, you put your total passion in things and the crowd reacts with a smile, you've, you, that's psychic income. Okay. Well, we'll get you out of here in a little bit. I got a couple more fun questions that are a bit more generic what is the toughest assignment you've ever been given when you when you were given it you're like holy cow this is going to be a tough one i'm interested in it but this is gonna be difficult well i didn't know it at the time but um trying to build the first golf course in the soviet union was a 20-year experience (laughs) um they they you know they thought golf was a capitalist english game that took five years to point out that both marks and and uh, Adam Smith played golf, which mm-hmm. uh, was pointed out to me by Alistair Cook, great historian. And we got past that. Uh, in other words, uh, we, I didn't know that Adam, that Karl Marx had played golf, but he, he did his work at London, and he did go out and have a hit in Hyde Park. They, they had nice. records of that. So 
Golf does not have an ideological meaning. At least it shouldn't, but we had to get past that. Then we had the Afghan wars, and we, there were no sports contacts between Russia and the or Soviet Union and the United States. No Olympic Games were played in mm-hmm. Moscow or L.A. Finally, we got started in 1988. Uh, we signed a deal, finally, after 14 years of talk, oh. and we began to build it. But I had to get approval from our government because I was an American citizen doing build work in the Soviet probably... Union. And they sent my plans to the Defense Department because the legend showed oh. that we had tea screens and bunkers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that took a while to get yeah. past my government. Yeah. And so eventually we got it done. Then the Soviet Union collapsed in the middle, and we had to grow it in with the Finns helping us because there's no laborers. And finally we opened in 1994 and had the Russian Open, at which the Russians decreed that only Russians could win the first Open, even though we had other So we had to get past that. Wow. So let me put it this way. That tested every element of not design but of my total uh, yeah. experience, but it was worth it. And handling politics. Because yeah, because it was worth it for this reason. Because the Soviet Union and China at the same time where we did the second or third course in mainland China were major countries, and now it's in the Olympic Games because they voted for it. This is true. Uh, I'm a little worried about the Olympic Games. Because, so am I. Because the coronavirus is going to make things very very dicey, I guess. We remember had Zika in in, and uh, that was the biggest, the biggest bit, worry you could ever have if in, you were a golfer. In Brazil, and some of the players didn't go that should should have gone in golf field. But what's going to happen in Japan is is what's going to happen. It's beyond our control. Let's mm-hmm. hope for the best. Well, I hope to go there and cover the event, but we'll see if that happens. Um, it'll be hot. <laughs> I know, it'll be warm. Is there a location in the world that intrigues you more than others to bring a golf course there? Um, and it could, that could be a place that you've been approached by or – a place that you never really thought of before, but what what piques your interest right now? I've been doing more work in Latin America recently. It's kind of been overlooked. We did a new course called Rio Hondo in Brazil. Sorry, okay. not Brazil, in Argentina. Um, we're working in, right now, and we have a course in Colombia um, called Mesa de Yeguas and a new course uh, at, at um, about to begin in Colombia. And one in Guayaquil in Ecuador. And I see golf expanding, good golf expanding in Latin America. And part of it is because it's got lots of land. Yeah. And they have not really uh, kept up with the game. Uh, so we'll, that, that, that kind of intrigues me. And anyway, my daughter speaks Spanish, and that's the way that we can talk to each other. <laughs> I love that. Is there a golf course in the world that you would like to work on? A current course that you think maybe could be improved in some way? A course that a lot of people know that maybe hasn't been touched in 10 years or yeah, 20 years? That's, a, that's an intriguing question. But we are remodeling our own courses. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, sometimes courses that are really pretty good are overworked. They're okay. over. They're made too difficult or too this because they want to be a top 100 course. Is there think, a good example of that? Well, in my opinion, um, my father did Mauna Kea, and my brother's team remodeled it, and the Japanese were pretty strong in what they wanted, hard. Okay. And the and the community and, and although they did a nice job, they made it very hard. And this is a touristic course, mm. and and it is maybe less popular than some of the other courses along the Kona Coast. Uh, that, that that's an example. Uh, you have to really restrain yourself from going overboard on on someone else's work. We have remodeled courses that. Um, 
to catch up with the time. The equipment's changed. I like this. People, and yet there's a romantic movement on mm-hmm. to go back to the original designs, say like Bel Air went back to the Hunter design with uh, Tom Doak's work. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, there was some pretty good architects here. My father, Dick Wilson, Tom Fazio, and they, you know, had made a very good golf course. Why are you taking all that out? And, that, and they said, well, we, got, we, we want to go back to how it once was. I said, well, do, what kind of car do you drive? Well, I drive a Porsche. <laughs> well, do you have a Volkswagen engine in it? Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, things, times have changed. Uh, well, you've, you've taught me a lot. The last question that I have for you is... I would consider you to be one of my golf course architecture professors. I think mm-hmm. you, I've learned a lot today, um, even before we pressed record. Who were your professors? Who who did you study? Who taught you this either directly, like I'm sure your father did, he did, or indirectly, like maybe someone you read about? Well, the game itself is the biggest professor for all of us. I love it te- that. It teaches us. Uh, moral codes. Um, we play the game by the rules, and anybody who doesn't can't get a game eventually. <laughs> True. Um, we learn um, to control our own emotions, and believe me, I've been really pretty mad at myself when I missed a four-foot putt to lose the match and and so on. Uh, so the game itself is a teacher. And then on the golf architectural side of it, uh, people who are players, I listen carefully to their opinions, and, and when I play with them, um, watched how they play and what's of interest to them and what's what irritates them and so on. So I'm always learning by just playing and 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 listening to comments. Now people have an opinion. Somebody once asked me how many golf architects are there, and my answer is how many golfers are there. Yeah, they all have an opinion, <laughs> and so uh, they express it. But golf architects more than that. Half of golf architects underground, you never see it. There's an irrigation system, a drainage system, soil mechanics, uh, grass types that that people don't consider. They're really looking at, the, uh, are there bunkers and greens they can play, uh, avoid bunkers yeah, what you can, can avoid, and, what, and, and can I make this putt, and, and so on. So the game is a teacher, but probably the most important teacher to me, both of the game and gave me some insights about golf architecture, was Tommy uh, Armour. At Wingfoot, I played on the national team, junior team, and he watched me play uh, against the Scottish player on the 10th hole, and we happened to have it in twos. At that point, my father came to the match, late as usual, but he said, hey, Trent, you're maybe a good architecture, but your son is going to be a player, and I'm going to teach him. So he did teach me the fine points of the game for nothing, as he did uh, Wiffy Smith and other young players, uh, Jay Revere from Texas and others. Um, and But he also taught me that I was hitting the ball directly at the target at a flag stick if I could. I was a one handicap at that time. Mm-hmm. And he said, why do you do that? Take one more club. I'm open champion, meaning U.S. Open and British Open champion. Mm-hmm. And I don't hit the ball 50% of the time in the sweet spot. And I'm going to take an extra club and cut it into this thing. For the first time, I'm seeing a golf course as tactical. Mm-hmm. And so that was young in my in my teaching. So that added a lot. So when I when you play my courses, I hope you see both and, not either or. You see the rhyme and the reason. Mm. Can you go a little bit deeper on that? Like, well, the, the, the what do you mean by rhyme? The, the and what rhyme do you mean by is the beauty. There are very few courses that are crafted. Tillinghast was a master at this at San Francisco Golf Club where I play, at Wingfoot, which where the open will be. You look at the shaping of the bunkers and the artfulness and the flow of line. It, it feels very natural, although it was man-made. Uh, inland, and that's sort of the rhyme. Okay. But when you actually play it, 
is you, you have to think reasonably, can I make this shot? Should I lay up here? Especially, let's say, on the 18th green at West Course, you better lay up because if you don't hit it precisely the distance, you'll go off the back and it'll ricochet, it'll kick backwards off the back slope. Or if you're short, it'll go way down the hill. And you, you've got to be very precise. And, if you, and so if you can't make that shot, lay up and pitch in. That's the, that's the reason. And if uh, Colin Montgomery had done that, he might have been U.S. Open champion exactly. in that contest. But it's also everyday club matches, so same things happen. And the golf courses, which are endlessly fascinating, there's a particular area that people don't realize. I call maybe the 1% or 2% of golf courses, which is golf art. In that sense, you walk on a course. Inland, it doesn't have to be the surrounding of beautiful mountains mm-hmm. or an ocean. And you look in any direction, and you sense beauty. When you sense beauty, as the great poet said, beauty is truth and truth is beauty and that's all you need to know. You feel it and you want to be there. Like you've walked into Monet's garden. So that's the art and reason together. I love that. Rhyme and reason of a golf course. Mr. Jones, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sean. All right. Major thanks to Robert Trent Jones Jr. Absolutely fascinating guy. And as if that convo wasn't enough, he left us with a booklet of poems that he's written over the years. That is even more of a peek behind the curtain into who he is. Anyway, big stuff coming from the Drop Zone and Golf.com on the podcast front here in the next couple of weeks in the run-up to the Masters. I promise you'll enjoy it. See you then.